0: That you're going to minister deeply, as I start a series uh, this week, and I just pray, God, that the presence of God will be with every single second that uh, that we entertain Your Word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, A few weeks ago, I was praying, praying for God to somehow. Uh, allow us to have an effective way that we can minister together as a church and uh, for our community. How God is going to minister in our city, and and, and as I was praying, there's just those God moments sometimes that take place. God all of a sudden begins to show up in a prayer. Meeting. Have you ever had that your time in prayer, and all of a sudden you just sense the Holy Spirit? This was one of those moments. I wasn't too sure if it was a prophetic word that had came my way, but I sp- clearly heard God speak to me. And I sense God saying that we are entering a time when God will be calling his people beyond a level of superficial devotion. That God is calling his church to actually serve him with all of their hearts. To a deeper, fuller, more authentic walk. One for people who are truly hungry to meet and to know him. That it means we no longer have to talk about prayer, but we actually have to pray that we no longer discuss the importance of the Word of God, that we actually read and study the Word of God. It's a call, it's an invitation, it is a challenge to live deeper, to go deeper, to be authentic, and it comes with a cost. So the question is, does this scare you, or maybe it challenges you. And so from this is what this series was birthed. I wanna talk about a culture of generosity, but, I think it's important to discuss things like that. That God is calling us to something deeper. Because the times do change. And the challenges change. It's kind of like September and shorts. You know, especially in Brandon, Manitoba, that whole idea of shorts. And now, now I'll, I'll just say this about shorts because it's an important discussion to talk about. That there's a time where this kind of reality sets in, and it is different, I know, for most of us. But there comes a time where the temperature requires us to change our summer wardrobe. Right? That happened. And for some of us, that message takes place sooner than others. Is that not true? I know for myself, I fight it. I don't want to get rid of these shorts. These shorts are moving They were sun. And shorts is kind of a way when I, when I all of a sudden graduate away from them, it is kind of me giving up on the fact that there perhaps will be warmer weather in the future. Right, and so this happens and so there's a fight. There's a skirmish that happens in my house. Perhaps this, perhaps this happens with you. I go out and it's 18 degrees. My, my wife in a Christian-like manner says, are you crazy, don't put shorts on. You're gonna freeze. I don't want you coughing all over me because you got a cold, because you're you're too stubborn to not wear clothing which is conducive to the climate. So we 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 deal with that, and and so we're gonna have Bethel connect this afternoon. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care how cold it is, I'm wearing my shorts. Now, I may wear a sweater, I'm not crazy. We always have to deal with the fact, and this is the thing. I think that my wife silently shrinks all my clothes, winter clothes, over the summer because the clothes that fit before summer for some reason don't seem to fit as well coming back into the falls. That happened to you, or maybe that's just something that happens with me. And of course, there are those people who even in minus 40 degree temperature still insist on wearing those shorts, And there is a benevolent fund in the church that provides counseling (laughs) for people who are like that. But the thing is, um, eventually there will be a day that my comfort will be jeopardized to the point where I'll have to change. And I think that there's a spiritual principle there, isn't there? That sometimes climate requires change despite the fact that we wish to hang on to the old. And I just want to say that the climate has changed. The question we ask ourselves is, will we respond? So I want to talk about, and I think this is important, creating a culture of generosity. Now, you may not realize it, but I think that every church has a culture. They have an emphasis. They have an odor. They have have a scent that they portray to the community and perhaps other Christians. In the community, what is our culture and and how does that look what is it what is it that, that comes about? We can have a culture of forgiveness we can have a culture of grace we can have a church that has a culture of unity or transparency or authenticity acceptance a culture of mercy all these things are great things do people say that we are a friendly church? do they say that we are a compassionate church? do they say that we are a generous church and what does a generous church look like what do we have to do to be a generous church what constitutes a generous church maybe the beginning thing we have to ask is does it have anything to do with money can a church have a people that give tons of money and still not be generous if we stop and consider the most generous person in history it would be Jesus and I ask myself how much money did Jesus actually give what did his income tax receipts tell us about generosity. You know, it, when a church becomes a generous church, it will, it will certainly not be because of the offering, or not just because of the offering. Generosity is not always measured by the offering plate alone, or even at all. However, if you can talk about generosity without talking about... You, it's very hard to talk about generosity without talking about the thing which is the greatest threat to generosity, which is the, the, the idol of of materialism the reason that, the reason that we we are not as generous as we are is because we are content to hold on to the things that we have and so how do we talk about it in a way which is meaningful how do i get you to walk away from this place today with the challenge to be a generous person and how do i convince a number of us so much that we actually become a church that has a generous Like last week, if you didn't have a chance to hear the service, and maybe you're listening online, you didn't have a chance to to hear. It was talking about what was called the Great Commitments from Micah chapter six, verses eight, where it talks about that we need to um, act justly, to to um, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I think that there is a blessing that comes, and if we want to have and see the power and the blessing of God, you need to have these three foundation stones. Authenticity, to act justly, to walk humbly with our God, humility, and to love mercy, which kind of generates itself in this thing, which is called generosity. Let's talk about generosity. I'd love for the people to be generous. I would love it even more if all of a sudden it became ingrained in the fabric of a church, to be part of that culture. I'll just say this. There are thousands of promises in the Scriptures And with every promise, there is a premise, and a large amount, I would say a majority of those promises are linked to generosity, that the promises of God are fulfilled when we become generous. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about generosity. I want to talk about one of these foundation stones, which is called generosity, because I think it's important for the here and now. It's important for what you're going through right now. The things you're experiencing, the way that, that you are feeling right now. Because there's a temptation as we feel the, the crunch financially and, and as uh, we still kind of have the fears of, of getting close and, 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 and maintaining relationships. There's a, there's, a, there's a temptation to stop. There's a temptation to say, well, okay, we're going to kind of be conservative here. We're going to kind of hold back. We're going to have to take those times where, where we're not going to be as generous. And if you're by yourself and all you are doing is just kind of staying within your own little realm, you're, you're, you're not being generous with who you are. And, and it, it becomes an important part of it because what happens is you close the door to the premises which create the promises, and God can't move in your life. The biggest mistake we can make at this point is to not be generous. Is basically what I'm saying. And so there are three passages of Scripture that I think are important. Now, if you look at the Proverbs, there are some profound things in the Proverbs, written by the smartest man to ever be known, says some profound things about generosity, and I'm going to kind of visit them, and there are thousands of scriptures that we can talk about, but there's these three that I want to talk about. Today, I want to talk about the anatomy of generosity. Next week, I want to talk about the consumption assumption. I think you will enjoy that. So hopefully you can can join us either online or in person. I'm hoping that you're going to to do that. So I'd be generous. I I wrote down this week, why should I be generous? What's the importance to create a culture of generosity? I think generosity cultivates an atmosphere of love and care. It will make you look past yourself. It opens the door for you to find favor with other people. What happens is when we're, we're generous, it shows our gratitude for God. When we consider how much God has given to us, how can we not be grateful and, and, and show gratitude and, um, generosity to others? It creates an environment of love and acceptance and appreciation. It promotes reciprocal generosity. If I'm generous to another person, that ter- person in 10 tends to pay it forward I'm generous because I have learned generosity from people who have gone before me. It cures discouragement. It catapults people ahead. It brings people into heaven. It has a resounding eternal effect. It is the only tool against materialism. It creates eternal friendships. As a person who grew up in a a non-church home, I consider a number of people as I was growing up, who showed generosity. Let me just tell, tell you, of those generous people, very few of them gave me any money. Interesting, isn't it? But there are people who invested in me, and spent time in me, and sacrificed for me. And, and I would not be here today if it wasn't for those individuals who had somehow generously given in one way or another in my life. And I would think that when I finally make it to heaven, And there will be people, friends, and family that I will embrace. But I will be looking for certain individuals when I'm in heaven. And I will embrace those people and I will say, thanks so much. And I'm going to get back to that. But it's such an important thing to stop and consider to understand that there are eternal ramifications to your generation, your generosity. Generosity furthers the kingdom of God. And I'll just say this, daily discipline of being generous and living and acting out Generosity acts as an antiseptic to your faith. It kills the germs of ungratefulness, discontentment, grumbling, pessimism, faithlessness, and apathy. And generosity has a magnetic effect for the kingdom of God. When people see generosity at work, it makes them say, what is it that they have that I don't? But in order for it to work, you need to work on being a contributor of generosity rather than the recipient of someone else's generosity, right? In other words, I have to grow up. Pastor Rick Warren gives a story about when Christmas time was gone, he had always heard the notion that it's better to give than to receive. But he said, really, when I was a kid, it was about receiving and not giving. He said, I remember being around the Christmas tree looking at all the pictures or all the the gifts that had my my, uh, name on it and just enjoyed the whole thing. But he said, but now that I'm a grandfather, the most wonderful thing now is to be able to sit and see my grandchildren's faces light up when I give them something. I'm so pleased when I see God uh, blessing my grandchildren through something that I've been able to give. He says, there's a reason for that. I grew up He says, I grew up. All of a sudden, as I got older, I began to realize that it's better to give than to receive and to see the joy on other people's faces as as that takes place. And he says, we go through the church, and there's so many people who've been in the faith for 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years, never ever learned to grow up. So I'll just say this. To be generous is very simple. But if you're going to be generous, and if we are going to be generous, we need to be purposeful. And so I want to present a passage of Scripture to you that is very important. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, most of us have read the book of 2 Corinthians. Lots of things that are in that book. But there's a time when he is beginning to try and establish a culture of, of generosity within the church of Corinth. And so I challenge you to read the whole verse, or whole chapter, chapter 9. I'm only reading a portion of it. Um, just to kind of for the sake of uh, keeping it uh, short so that you, like again, so we can beat the Baptist to Wendy's. You know, it's a good thing to do, right? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter nine says this. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse seven says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves what's called a cheerful giver. you heard this passage before, right? Wave at me if you've heard that passage before. Verse 8 goes on. and It's important to include verse 8. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you have, that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a study of the church of Corinth. They were a unique church. They were such a huge blend of the good and bad. But I think that Paul was trying to establish in them to heal them of all that. Now, for a brief history of, of the church of Corinth, there was a huge problem with immorality in the church of Corinth. There was a, a form of incest which was happening amongst a couple that was so gross that Paul said, even the world outside the church kind of is grossed out by this. You know, and, and here you are, and we're supposed to be representing something. You're allowing this to take place. And, and so, so there was this, this level of immorality that was taking place. Yet at the same time, their services were fantastic. There were prophetic words. There were words of wisdom. There, there was at a point where there were so many prophetic things that were happening that Paul kind of in his letter has to say, okay, well, there has to be some order in all of this. But at the same time, there's selfishness. He says you're so selfish and self-willed in the whole thing. You know that, that chapter in, in Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter? It's sandwiched between 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and what Paul, in essence, is doing in 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, these are all the things that you're not. There was selfishness which was taking place. There was selfishness, selfishness happening to the point where during the communion, which at that time was called love feast, people were coming and getting drunk and other people weren't having anything. Can you imagine that? I, remember, I know that there's people who have said, "Oh, I just wish that we were like the New Testament church. I have been to a lot of communions. Not one of them do I remember anyone getting drunk to the point where they didn't care about what anyone else was doing? These were some of the things which are happening. This is what was, was, was taking place. It's incredible. And these are some of the things that I, I can't even remember that, that we're talking about that, that I, I could, have, could actually add to it. But these are some of the things. So why does God talk? Or why does Paul talk about generosity? Well, he does a number of things. Basically, he talks, first of all, that it is a paradigm issue. Like, it is amongst the most important things. And in portions of this passage that I don't even read, God, that Paul begins to actually say, this is among the most important things that you can do as a Christian. He kind of makes the ultimate point, and it's this, that your time and your talent and your treasures need to be given because Jesus is the ultimate example If you look in 2 Corinthians 9.15, which is the last verse in, in 2 Corinthians, it says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now many times when we quote that, it's at Christmas time. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Christmas, right? But what Paul refers this to is this. God is absolutely so gracious that we couldn't possibly be not gracious and still call ourselves Christians that there are certain things which are in our lives or that should be inside our lives that it, that it becomes part of our DNA to the point where if you don't have this, you gotta question your faith. Forgiveness. You can go through your, your, your faith and love Jesus, but if there's unforgiveness in your life, well, Scripture says it's almost impossible to not forgive your brother and to receive forgiveness from God. There's a number of passages of Scripture. Grace. Showing unmerited favor to people who don't deserve it. And if you don't exercise grace in your life, it's very hard for you to understand and apply grace to your life. Your life becomes a hypocrisy if you don't do it. And so what was happening here was Paul was saying, generosity is in that category. It's generosity that causes us to see the ultimate example and to not be generous exposes our faith. So it was, it was the paradigm issue. But not only that, is what I would call a persistent issue as well. You know what he says in verse 6? He says, remember this. Not like they forgot. The reason he puts remember this in there is because this whole thought of s- sowing and reaping is in Scripture so many times that it couldn't be possible for them to have not known it. This wasn't the first time he talks about sowing and reaping. It is not the last time in Scripture that we hear about sowing and reaping. If there's principles, if there's a principle about, about giving and generosity, it's in the principle of sowing and reaping. He's, not, he's basically saying this. Hey, this is a part of what our faith is. Generosity many times is not the default, is it? You have to discipline yourself. You have to daily practice it. You have to train yourself. You have to dethrone the notion of greed and the idol of materialism that comes naturally. And sometimes we think that some of these things come naturally when they're not. Works of the flesh are natural. Walking in the spirit takes time where God continually works and moves in our lives. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, if it's good, it'll naturally happen. Well, no, that's not the case, really. When there's good that happens and there's possible damage to the kingdom of Satan, there will be spiritual battle. It ends up being one of those things that we have to continually work on. It's a persistent issue. Then he goes on in verse 7, and he says that it is a purposeful issue. I'll just say this. He says, you need to determine in your heart beforehand what you need to give. Generosity is not a matter of Determination. It is a matter of predetermination. And the big thing that Paul says in this passage of Scripture is, he says, if you're going to be a, a generous person, it will be because you have planned beforehand to be that way. It will have to be part of the strategy. It will be part of the schedule. It will not happen. It will not happen because the cares of life and the needs that you have will overtake it. I asked myself this week, what would happen if you took $100 from your budget a month and um, you said, I'm going to utilize that money to bless someone else. I'm not too sure exactly what it is, but it becomes part of the budget. You just say, that $100 I am purposely putting apart to somehow bless someone, someone who may need tuition, someone who might need a meal, someone who might need something drastically in their life. I'm gonna be on the lookout. I'm gonna put it as part of the plan. What would happen if 50 people or 50 families in a church made that same plan? We're going to set apart $100, and what we're going to do is we're going to use it to bless other people. If you do the math, 50 people, $100 each. What is that, $5,000? $5, $5,000 a month over a year, $60,000 a year going to bless other people, to make an impact in people's lives. And what we need to do is we need to exercise the muscle of generosity. And what Paul is saying is you'll never ever be generous unless you plan and be purposeful in your generosity. So it's a persistence issue and it's also a purposeful issue. But the last thing is, is it is a passionate issue. It is something you have to do because God has done it. It says, do it with all your heart, not reluctantly, but under compa- compulsion because God wants a cheerful giver. God wants somebody whose heart is in the manner. Not as a routine, not as a command, but because you actually love people. Least leads to the question, one of those chicken or the egg questions, which is this. Do I love people and as a result I'm generous, or do I purposely become generous and it eventually will develop into me loving people i'm not too sure exactly how that is i guess i could hazard a guess as to which way it is all i know is that the persistence issue and the purposeful issue are things that you can do and work on yourself but it is ultimately something that god calls us to do from our heart see we can we can give without loving but we can't love without giving for god so loved the world that he gave. The biggest attraction to Christianity, to your faith, and thing that possibly drew you to Jesus, was the fact that we serve a generous God. That there was sin, and you were bound for hell, and you had no way of saving yourself, but God, in his generosity, gives his whole life for you. This is like, this is like radical generosity. Is the thing that leads us. The generosity, basically, simply, in, in its purest terms, is love and action. And so the call for us is not to take up an offering right now and see what we can do, although that is part of the whole process. But the most generous acts that you will give will cost you no money at all, but it will cost you, you, won't it? I think that God will be calling us to a revolution. Of generosity to take us back to the place where he needs us to be and the problem is is that the temptation is right now to do the opposite and if I could say one thing to you it will be this avoid the temptation to pull back allow God to work through your life maybe you're here and you just say I just kind of got out of attending and and you rob you rob yourself, but you rob us of your talent, and you rob us of yourself, and, and there's the process of God working and moving in our lives. And it says in verse 8, And God, who is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, will abound in every single good work. Um, I don't know if we totally comprehend the spiritual and eternal benefits of just being a generous person. It's one of, it's one of those times where we, we think, oh yeah, generosity, I kind of know it's good. What's, what's for lunch now? I'm not too sure. It's, it, yeah, that's really good, Pastor. But I think sometimes that on some of these issues we've heard so much about it that we forget the power behind it. Like I thought this week, was a time I spoke in seniors, and I kind of shared a story of a, a person that got saved in the church that I got saved in, and uh, his his parents came to the church, but he was so far gone that he was like, he was like joined a biker gang, and uh, the church just kind of prayed over him time and time again, and he was part of this bike gang, Gang didn't even know where he was, he was so strung out on drugs that that many times he really couldn't, Keep his thoughts together, and so he was invited to church. And he says, "Yeah, I'm going to go to church." And he goes to church, and he's got no shirt on. He's got a leather vest, and he's got no shoes, and he's walking into the church. And people loved him. People just loved on him and loved on him. I says, oh, "I'm so glad that you're here." He's kind of waiting. I says, "The first person, the first person says something, but what I'm wearing, I'm going to sock him right in the nose." It never ever happened, and people just loved on him. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God moved in the, ser- in the service, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And, and so, after I began to talk about this and all the things that, 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 that this person had, one of the seniors came and talked to me. He says, well, How do you know so much about this guy who's part of the Outlaws Bike Gang? Well, he's my, my, he was one of my first youth pastors. In a time when I was a confused kid from an alcoholic home, not really knowing which way to go, there was a guy who I could kind of relate to. And um, I remember just going to youth group and, and, and listening to his lessons and, and the fact that he had these kids he was very close to and he had a, a wife and responsibilities, yet at the same time, he always had time for me. And there were times where he just poured into me, individual times, and, and, and I think to myself that partly the way that I am and and the person that I am right now is because of him. That there were seniors that went out of their way knowing that I didn't have any kind of support with a family that said, I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something, I'm going to give to him. And he did. And I think of that individual, and if he makes it to heaven before me, and I find myself in heaven... He may be one of the first people I hunt down. And I just say, hey, wrap my arms around him and say, I just want to say thanks. If it wasn't for the times that you showed kindness and generosity when I knew that you were a busy guy with a family and all the other things that you had, you poured into my life that I'm here today because some of the things that you have done. And It leads me to two important questions to ask you this morning. The first one is this When you get to heaven, and after you've met with your family members and those people who you kind of grew up with, who will be those people that you will embrace who showed you kindness and generosity, may not have even given you a cent? But we're generous with their time, their talents to minister to you. Who will be those people that you hug in heaven? And the second question, which is probably more important, the one that I hope haunts you, the one that I hope the Spirit of God speaks to you over is this Who will be the people who will come to you and hug you in heaven because of your generosity? God, I pray that you will move in a powerful way. I believe that there are probably during this time that, God, you are calling us to something deeper. And there is a huge temptation at this time to continue to draw away, or there's a huge temptation to say, well, I'm not going to give, or I'm not going to give as much, or whatever the case is. And and I'm praying, God, that perhaps you will speak through your word today, and that I believe that if, God, you are going to be doing great things it will be through a generous church. It will be because we have created a culture where we realize, Father, that the greatest thing that we could possibly do for ourselves and for everyone else is to be generous. That, God, what I want to work for is to have as many people come up to me when I'm in heaven... It says, I know, I know you, you, you sacrificed that time, you sacrificed that effort, you did all those things, and I just want to say thanks. I don't know if I'd be in heaven if it wasn't for you. That's the, the effect, the, the eternal reciprocal effect of generosity. That doesn't stop the moment we die. It goes on. We see the benefits. Everything that happens in eternity may be because of generosity. So I just pray, Father, that we will have hearts, Lord, that are stuck and challenged to say, God, may leave this place. May leave this place to be a generous person. Unlock those things that want me to hold back and allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to move deeply, God, so that I can do things fresh for your kingdom. I pray, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen? Let's stand together. May the Lord bless every single person who is here today. I pray for a blessing as the pastor of this church on every family, and every heart. Whether people are here single, alone, whether there's a family with children, Lord, whether there are seniors that are just kind of uh, here and have faithfully served you all their lives, Father, whether there are people who are here and uh, they don't know you yet, uh, but are looking into it, Father, I pray your blessing. I pray the presence of God to move upon them. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to make them effective for your kingdom. And may you be lifted up, I pray in Jesus' name.